Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundtable of the week complete with a bigger quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said though joined by michael sidrick to review aew rampage a show remembered probably less for the wrestling and more for oh quite the head-to-head face-to-face uh, eventually pull apart brawl that we saw in the middle of this show i mean it has to be the angle slash promo of the year realistically the best wrestling segment of the year non-wrestling I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to think now, because he always. I always feel like I should kind of stem my recency bias somewhat to give like a fair, analytical, detached approach to recognize the work that made me feel like this five months ago or whatever. Not just because something's making me feel like electrified right now. Off the top of my head, I adored the various interactions between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page as AEW started to go back in front of live crowds on the tour. Like the one, Bangkok, baby! (laughs) That one was phenomenal. The one that set up the 10-man tag was absolutely electrifying as well. Um, So it's... uh, They're up there with this, but I have to think this is better. This was unbelievable. Great great professional wrestling storytelling and it just proved that you don't need a proper quote-unquote feud to no. be classed as a great storyline or great storytelling like you can simply have a believable source of conflict that might even be a little bit minor mm-hmm. but the exploration of it and the building of that one little thing that divides two people and the more it's explored better it is you don't necessarily have to 
lose two matches by disqualification and then win at the pay-per-view for it to be a feud or for it to be a great storyline. And this just proved that emphatically. Yeah, white hot stuff. We will get to that in due course, of uh, of course. Um, we will start with a match that really pissed me off because we're in the content game here at What Culture, and I love you, Longbone Tone. I could have really done with knowing about this match in advance because then we could have done some patter on it on the preview and maybe, maybe even predicted the shots that uh, that AEW vicariously threw Max Castor and Anthony Bowens were going to take at WWE regarding their releases, uh, in case you're unaware. Show starts, out comes Danielson, of course. Big entrance, huge bap for him. He comes down. He adjusts Justin Roberts' tie before the match. Nice touch. Uh, and then out comes the acclaimed Anthony Bowen in action, but Max Castor, of course, comes with him. Uh, and Max Castor raps about Danielson loving cucumbers. Here's a poll you can do. Who's the better rapper, Adam Wilborn or Max Castor? I think it's Castor, but it's real close. Okay. It is real close. But just for now. Yeah, okay. Maybe, I'll say, I'll say what, Last week it was just just match caster because I'm I'm maybe that line about wearing skates wasn't good. We do, we, you know we don't know. Only time will tell. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, maybe I, I know. Will Will John Silver beat Adam Cole? Maybe was a bit of <laughs> a bit of a crowbarring I in. You're just trying to make it rhyme with something. Yeah, but I might be, yeah. you might be right there. But uh, isn't that all rhyme? Yes, exactly. Reduced to its core. Uh, Max Caster uh, mocks Brian's skinny legs. He says he's only famous because of his wife's reality TV show. But the line that everyone has been talking about, of course, is uh, that the acclaimed end careers faster than his father-in-law. What do you make of that? Well, we said on the preview, well, I said on the preview that it would feel like punching down because... There are 18 performers who have just had their livelihoods taken away from them. Some actively requested it. Some you suspect are, at the very least, somewhat happy about the news. It's probably scary. A but few it, who might show up on AEW indeed, in the coming months. Indeed. But at the same time, there are people there who I don't really expect to get a, a major league income that's going to rival what they had in WWE. So it is, to a degree, punching down. Max Caster, in a genius move, punches up at the guy who makes it all possible. Obviously, it's Vince, but John Laurinaitis is like a funnier target because mm. he's just the spineless guy. And obviously, there's a connection to Danielson there. And he's the span- spineless guy that um, he's the messenger. So it was the perfect way to do it. It wasn't, ha-ha, you've lost your jobs. It's, ha-ha, your father-in-law just is one of the worst people to have been involved in pro wrestling. One of the, like, he's, in, he's a knob, is Laurinaitis. But, you know... In the landscape where there's Chris Benoit and Bug Zumhoff, you don't want to say he's one of the very worst. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. But, you know, he's um, it's better to reference John Laurinaitis and Bug Zumhoff on television for a pop <laughs> yes. anyway. Yeah, and thank Christ Rampage was live this week because I feel like, it, you know, sorry, last week, because if they'd done it this week, it'd feel like, all right, but, you know, it's been a week now, basically, whereas this was like a day after. It yeah. just it got a great reaction from the crowd. Uh, shout out to to Anthony Bowens, who, who I thought looked really good in this match. He sort of held his own quite early on against Brian Danielson, even put him down on the mat, uh, got a near fall off a crucifix. Danielson does not like this, does not like being not shown up, but being equaled by someone like this, because occasionally he's not a very nice man. As a baby face in this promotion. Comes back, 
kicks him, chops him, kicks him, all the usual stuff you'd expect from Brian Danielson. Uh, goes for the cross arm breaker, but Bowens gets to the ropes, so Danielson just kicks him out of the ring as a response. Uh, he goes for a kick on the floor, but Bowens blocks it and drops him onto the apron, and then Max Caster clotheslines him when the referee isn't looking to take us to a picture-in-picture break. When we come back, uh, Danielson's fighting back, hitting the yes kicks. He gets a near fall off the back of that, but he misses the drop kick in the corner, and Bowens catches him with his finisher, that sort of inverted DDT with the opponent in the ropes. He gets a near fall off the back of that, but Brian comes back, back drops him out on top of Max Caster, and then crossbody blocks both of them on the floor, gets him back in, top rope shotgun drop kick, the stomps, and then the label lock to give Brian Danielson the victory. I have to say that I think I enjoyed this more when I looked at it analytically in terms of what the match achieved, what I got from Danielson's opponent without feeling like I have throughout every other Brian Danielson match on Rampage or Dynamite. And I think that has a lot to do with the quality of his opponent. I mean, I think Anthony Bones has got all the potential in the world, but he's not quite a Suzuki, Nick Jackson, or Kenny Omega, so no. perhaps that's natural. I did feel like it maybe went one or two minutes, two or three minutes too long. That's fair. Um, but at the same time, I also admired the construction of the match, how I got enough of a sense that Anthony Bones wasn't just this goober mug who needed um, Caster to cheat to get any kind of advantage. There were various like little moments in the match where I thought, oh, he's no mug here, he's, he's capable on the mat, he's also a bigger guy so he can out-muscle him. Um, but I didn't really feel that much towards his performance individually, even though I did think for a long match that went too long, they did just about as well of a job as they could have. I really enjoyed that DDT. Mm. That was awesome. I look forward to seeing that on TV against um, someone who I can believe it could believably take out. But, you know, it was a nice enough match. Um, I'm never going to complain about a Brian Danielson match. I've seen matches that each member of the acclaimed have had and that they've had together, and half of them, or the vast majority of them, weren't anywhere near as good as this. Um, Danielson's the best wrestler in the world. I didn't necessarily need a reminder <laughs> um, of that, but, you know, I'll take much worse on a Saturday morning. Uh, we get a recap of what went down with Andrade and Cody and FTR, and then we see them backstage, uh, yeah, uh, getting paid off, basically. Um, MJF describes FTR as the best luchadors in the world, and then there's a whole bit of De Niro. Robert De oh, no, De Niro. Oh, he wants the money, basically. Uh, Uno Mas, more money for him, basically. And uh, FTR boast about potentially, you know, getting the, the tag titles at a full gear, of course. And then uh, Dax Howard just want to address, before we get there, though, what happened last week, particularly the, the lack of pack involved in it all. And uh, he said, didn't see you out there. Maybe that's because you're a little British bitch. How about we settle this on Dynamite? Looking forward to this one-on-one -on -one match. I am. I will save much of my enthusiasm for the preview, which will drop in your feeds on Wednesday, as is tradition. This is the best recent version of an AEW trope that's becoming a little bit formulaic, like periphery figures in a storyline, because it's very stable and connection-oriented, have a match to build to another match. This is It's becoming a bit formulaic. It's better than just giving away loads mm -hmm. and loads of matches yeah. for free. This is one of the better versions of it in recent months. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Right, let's get into it then. Uh, The CM Punk Eddie Kingston face-to-face confrontation. Punk comes out. He's, you know, happy. He's smiling. He's waving to the crowd. Uh, We go to break. When we come back, he's running around in the ring. Says, I just want to convince people that I've been jogging for three and a half minutes. He calls out Eddie Kingston. He wants to settle this. uh, And Kingston Music's plays, but he does not appear. So Punk says, maybe I've got to keep talking a little bit because we all know that Kingston likes to interrupt people and be rude. And that's exactly what happens. Then Kingston comes out uh, and he's, oh, the look on his face. You knew this was going to be summit to not take your eyes or ears off uh, as we previewed on Friday. Uh, he says, oh, I interrupted the great CM Punk. Oh, no. He says, what's wrong? You want an apology? You want an apology? And they're, they're, they're as far as apart as they can be uh, in the ring, which I thought was a lovely bit of uh, visual sort of symmetry and compare that to where they were by the yeah, end of all this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Kingston uh, explains his absence, saying, oh, I'm really sorry that I wasn't here to answer your, your, your challenge on Dynamite, but, you know, I thought I might have COVID. So I was making sure I stayed home, stayed safe, got tested, and didn't make anyone or their kids sick. So I'll apologise to the fans, but I'm, I'm not apologising to you, effectively. And he plays the world's smallest violin for CM Punk. Um, and he talks about their history then. Uh, he says, look, I remember when we worked together and uh, and I looked up to, to you and all the independent stars in the locker room, people like Samoa Joe, Homicide, Amazing Red. Nice to hear Amazing Red's name mentioned. Love that guy. Um, but he said, Punk 
was different because when he got to know him, he realised that he looked down upon him. He judged him. Punk was a narcissistic son of a bitch, basically. Um, and Punk disrespected him for, for not playing. Play, you know, he didn't play the right backstage politics. Maybe he wasn't friends with the right booker. And, oh, just because he's slightly overweight, that's an issue, really, is it? Well, Punk responds saying, I think you're putting a lot of you know, baggage on me. You're sort of justifying why you didn't succeed because of something that I did rather than the fact that, you know, you fell short of the mark. And a lot of people, all the guys you mentioned, he runs through the same names, mentions Danielson, um, they they saw you fall short of that mark and they judged you as a result of it. Um, it also wasn't CM Punk's fault for Brian Danielson beating him last week. That was Punk's fault, I suppose, for expecting greatness from someone who's a bum. Oh, I was electrified. So then Kingston fires back with a bum. Main event, full gear. He's furious here. Um, he says, look, not just me, but everyone else back in that locker room don't want you here anymore. I'm the only one who's willing to go out and say it, though. Tell you what, you and me, full gear. Let's have a Fight, fight me up full gear. And Punk comes back with a little zinger saying, I'm sure that match isn't more suited for you with elevation or dark. And there's a nice crowd reaction to all that. And Kingston just, just wants, fight me, fight me. And Punk asks the crowd, do you want to see this fight at full gear? Obviously, huge reaction to that. And Punk accepts. And just as he's about to leave, Kingston says, by the way, after I beat you at full gear, Maybe then you can go away for another seven years. And that is the trigger for CM Punk. He headbutts Eddie Kingston. They brawl and everyone that you can possibly think of gets into this ring to stop them, to to, to, to have this pull-apart brawl happen in front of us. And it, it's one of those ones that we've seen numerous occasions, but it always gets me. They're, they're brawling. They're just wildly swinging punches and trying to get their hands on each other. A proper Friday night in town scrap. There's nothing nice about this. They're just winging for each other. And referees and officials and wrestlers are even getting in there to try and break them up. And then when they do, one of them sees an opportunity to just get one more shot in. So they dive on top of each other. And their faces are, are just filled with emotion and anger and fury. And uh, it's just scintillating action. And as, as the crowd are chanting, let them fight, Excalibur reveals that Longbone Tone has confirmed this match. CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, full gear. What a section this was of the show. It was a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece of building a match, cutting a promo, telling a story, escalating, like, tiny stakes. I think I saw the word petty go around on Twitter. Like, a petty conflict, almost. How they escalated the premise, the body language, getting drawn together, as you so astutely point out, was just absolutely incredible. So as you said at the start, they are each taking an opposite side of the ring, diagonally, uh, turnbuckle to turnbuckle, back to turnbuckle, back to turnbuckle. Eddie Kingston is kind of mugging to the crowd a bit, playing to the camera, He's doing the small, world's smallest um, violin thing. Um, CM Punk has his arms folded. Eddie Kingston folds his arms and does like a face mm-hmm. at the very start. Throughout it all, when he's not talking, and this is so great, CM Punk's face kind of doesn't move at all. It's just this kind of smug, yeah, yeah, I've heard this one for 15 years, Eddie. <laughs> I've heard this one for 15 years. 
and, you know, still getting beat off Brian Danielson when I count. That's what his face said to me. Just a smug, insincere, I'll listen to you, but I'm, really, I'm not really interested in what you're saying. I don't believe what you're saying because, as Punk told the world, he thinks Kingston's a bum. All the while, when the verbal barbs are, like, sort of intensifying and how cruel they are, how personal, how close to the bone they are, Eddie Kingston's just going nearer and nearer and nearer. Nearer and nearer and nearer. Middle of the ring, he does the violin. When um, CM Punk starts calling him a bum and all the rest of it, he gets so close to him. Punk almost puts his hand on his chest, mm-hmm. goes, get your hands off me. I'll wipe that smirk off your face. Just the dialing up of intensity is absolutely incredible here. And I completely buy the source of the conflict. If you think this started from an interview getting interrupted, and it turns out it's more than that, but not much more. Not much more at all. They kind of didn't like each other on the indie scene 15 years ago. How can that possibly affect both men so much? Mm. Well, they explore that the deeper this goes on and the longer it goes on, and it's brilliant. Eddie Kingston has every criticism of him that has haunted him, that haunts his daily life, which we know, echoed back to him from this smug, smirking face prick. CM Punk in response, plays it very glib, very straight. He's just cool, collected. Nothing can unsettle him. He's the big star in the ring with the disappointment and the failure. (laughs) Until just the masterpiece of a twist at the end of all this. Absolute perfection. CM Punk is told by Eddie Kingston, like, no one wants to hear. Go back for another seven years. Everyone in the locker room is afraid to say this. I'm not. He preys on his biggest insecurity, and that's what draws that. When he headbutted Kingston, I was just like standing and pacing in my living room. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Not just how unexpected it was, Mm -hmm. how well it built to it, but just trying to bite his head off. It was great. The tongue out bit was absolutely great. You do the contrast from those first expressions to the end and how they earned those like incredibly animated, potentially even OTT expressions. I mean, Eddie Kingston opened his mouth as wide as he could, stuck his tongue out as far as he could, and bulged his eyes as hard as he could. <laughs> CM Punk, who's rarely showed, like, even when he was getting beat down by 2.0 and mm. um, Daniel Garcia, he's never shown this much emotion in AEW yet. And yet, how much more does it mean that they've waited? Like, it means so much more. If he was doing this against Darby Allen face versus face, it wouldn't have scanned as true. No. It wouldn't have meant as much as it did on Rampage. This is why you wait week to week. This is why you trust week to week. This is why you invest week to week. Just an absolutely phenomenal all-timer masterpiece of a goddamn segment. And I just love the fact that CM Punk, for weeks now, name months, has been saying, oh, it's great to be back. I love being back. Um, great vibe in the locker room. I love that. It's not like the toxic environment was in WWE. Then Kingston says, no one likes you. <laughs> no one wants to say this. Everyone thinks you're a smug, sanctimonious arsehole. So just fuck off. That really got it, Punk. That really got it, Punk. Look, it, if nothing else, and it was everything, but it's just yet another illustration of why you should trust this process. I don't get paid to tell people this, right? I'm not convincing myself this. I've lived it for two years. The second, and I don't think every argument was in bad faith. I think a few people have said, oh, is this CM Punk run connecting? Like, all throughout, just, just bloody wait. Mm. If you think Tony Khan and CM Punk have sat down over the course of months, right, to negotiate money, and just said, well, okay, we're going to do it. It's looking like we're going to do it. If I do do it, what we're going to do? Let's have five matches against some random opponents, <laughs> and then we'll just we'll work it out from there, I guess. 
what a load of bollocks. Yeah. What a load of bollocks. They're telling an absolutely incredible story, and it works so much more because of how the slow burn informs the real CM Punk, which we've got just the most awesome glimpse of here. Um, I believe there's a little bit of discourse getting battered around about who's the babyface, who's the heel. Um, is someone going to turn proper heel on the back of this? No. I think it's two babyfaces with a believable grudge who are going to emerge from the match regardless of the result, and it seems pretty nailed on, but my God, they're going to emerge from babyfaces at the end of all this. Yeah, both, absolutely. Both men. It's just a bit of a textured conflict, the likes of which people haven't seen in pro wrestling in decades. Um, but my God, between the Danielson match, this segment, I've, my opinion, I've got one more point to make after this. My opinion from Eddie Kingston has evolved in the past eight days from best utility player in all of wrestling can lose whenever he wants, and it's fine because it's Eddie Kingston too. God, strap him up. Yeah. Strap him up. I will close with this. If someone had told you, Wilborn, here's what's going to happen. If someone had told you this in like April 2021, before, it was in July when Sean Ross Sapp dropped the tweet saying CM Punk's in talks for a return to wrestling, they kind of knew what AW. If in April someone said to you, CM Punk is going to sign with AEW, he's going to make his first appearance in August. By November, he's going to split the crowd. Some not behind him, some behind him. Your initial thought would be, what a disaster. Yeah, where have they gone wrong? Where have they gone wrong? What a disaster. You'd have similar feelings to Daniel Bryan coming back in WWE yeah. in 2018 where it was like, oh, by the summer, it's a bit like, it's just there. The Daniel Bryan Miz feud is just there. It's good, but, you know, it's nowhere near what it could be. And everyone just became so accustomed to the sort of banal fact that Bryan had come back that by within eight months of his like magical return, just as magical on its own merits than CM Punk's, just as improbable, mm -hmm. just as elusive. And you would have thought, well, they botched it. What a disgrace. He's turned heel. The, the heel character was great, but in principle, it was a disgrace that he had to turn heel. If you'd have said the same thing to me about CM Punk and AEW, I would have thought, I would have had an existential crisis about the investment <laughs> I'd placed in this company. What measure of how over and how great CM uh, Eddie Kingston is. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, this is great. Strap Eddie Kingston up next year. I'm telling you. After he watched this again, it's incredible, incredible. Just the face from Eddie Kingston at the end, <laughs> just the glimpse of the con, the physical eruption he got. Trying to bite CM Punk's head off. CM Punk, um, this is a very generous reach. I'm not saying he's done this on purpose. He stage dived with a calculated element because one day he's going to jump over some referees. I'm not saying there's any side by side mm -hmm. symmetry. I'm just saying what a lovely contrast that yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. What a lovely contrast about his. Uh, the evolution of his character arc. Uh, and whilst all this wildness is going on, they uh, throw backstage. Tony Schiavone's there. Uh, he's got uh, Jurassic Express. Christian Cage there. Christian Cage calls out the Young Bucks for calling themselves tough guys. He said they're more like sad sacks. Or shh. Uh, and then Jungle Boy gets on the mic as well, agrees and says, we challenge the Super Click to a match against uh, Jurassic Express and Christian Cage at full gear. It's preview fodder, but I will touch on this very briefly since you brought it up. Love this. I'm way more of a fan of this match than I am Cole versus Christian Cage and then Bucks versus Jurassic Express yes. because we've seen a absolutely classic Bucks Jurassic Express match on Dynamite before All Out, about three weeks before it, I think. And I'm, I'm up for seeing it again, but I don't necessarily think it's a, a pay-per-view attraction. This is going to be insanity, like PWG Bucks insanity. One more thing on Punk and Kingston. This is a tweet, but it's a very good one. The mega fans will always forgive me. 
Like, believable animosity is, like, so hard to engineer in pro wrestling. And because it's so hard to engineer, and it's the whole point of it, it's also, like, the greatest attribute you can have in any kind of pro wrestling program. The idea that two people cannot stand each other and are desperate to fight each other. It's perfection. It's perfection of something almost impossible, that Eddie Kingston CM Punk segment. Then we get uh, the next match in the TBS title tournament. Uh, the winner of this match, of course, goes on to face Jade Cargill, who was sat with uh, Smart Mark Sterling watching uh, from ringside. It is the Bunny versus Red Velvet. Red Velvet runs down, a uh, big brawl uh, with the Bunny before the bell can even ring. Uh, but then once it does, the Bunny does take control, sends Velvet out outside and into the steps. Uh, and then that what bit where she drop kicks someone's head into the turnbuckle looks so rough this and ruins their neck basically. Uh, Bunny, as a result of taking the control here, manages to hit a Death Valley driver, gets a great near fall off the back of it, and then goes for her finish. But Velvet reverses into that final slice neck breaker. One, two, three. Red Velvet advances. She will face Jade Cargill, and she sort of jaw jacks with her uh, after the match. The right result for you. Correct result. It's going to be a little bit lame if after this the bunny is on telly as much as she's been between All Out and Full Gear because I can't take the prospect of her winning a match seriously anymore. Um, I didn't get a great deal out of this match. No. One of the benefits and drawbacks of, you know, working Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, as we do, Britain, um, means that you go a few days without seeing... You go a few days between watching the show and reviewing the show. Yeah. And I guess it's a drawback because, you know, you don't get those immediate listens and some of the stuff doesn't stay in your memory. So it's hard, harder to review than it is raw. I mean, that's a load of bollocks. And I, <laughs> I regret it saying that, it. Yes. So you know what I mean? It's more difficult, not harder. It's more difficult. Very little of this registered for me and it stuck with me, which I mm. guess it's not great analysis, but it's all about feeling. It's all about the things that you remember. It's all about the things that matter and can inform what comes next. Now, I can't remember much of this match at all. Can't remember many of the moves. Can't remember much of the story. Um, none of it made this great impression. I am still vibrating at the prospect of Punk versus Kingston, <laughs> and I'm not really um, hyped on this. Correct result. Scanned as an obligation. Um, another thing I'll say is that I expect this tournament to be brilliant by the time it's finished, but the last two matches I've seen on TV, it's an easy win. Just do a tournament that is much better than the Queen's Crown, like considerably better than mm. the Queen's Crown, and it's yet another thing that you can say to those couple of hundred thousand who don't watch Dynamite every week. There's a couple of hundred thousand who don't watch Raw every week. The SmackDown rating's stable, but you know, there are some floating voters, if you like, between each show. Don't you want to convince them everything they do, WWE, we do much better. And the last two matches aren't that much more important or meaningful than the absolute dreck we got served up in the Queen's Crown. I expect the next round of matches to go a lot longer and be a bit more meaningful, but two misses for me, and I can't, why would I ever um, reframe them as anything other than that? No, I think you're right. Uh, you know, aside from like Deeb Sheeda, which is great, it, it, the first round matches kind of passed me by, but the quarterfinals, Thunder Rosa versus Jamie Hayter, Jade Cargill versus Red Velvet, uh, Nyla Rose versus 
and injured Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho. I really think it's going to be uh, picking up as we continue forward off the back of that. But yes, this was just sort of a, a routine win. Not routine as in she just dominated, but in terms of we all kind of knew where this yeah. was going. An obligation, as I said. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the main event, we have the uh, face-to-face uh, Mark Henry explaining for those who don't know about the whole budge thing. Um, and Silver talks about... Uh, Adam Cole's injury is concerto, uh, of course, earlier on in the week. Uh, he says, Budge has got a boo-boo. Adam Cole is just furious. He just can't wait to get his hands on this little prick in his eyes. Um, he tells Silver to shut up. Uh, he's never going to have half the career Cole has. Again, Silver references when he says this. Didn't we beat you last week? Um, and Cole says he's not someone to mess with. And he storms off to leave Mark Henry to utter his infamous line and, well, John Silver to mouth along with it. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the main event. That's real time, that. No, it isn't. It's getting over, like, it's getting over. It's getting over. I mean, paying him. I'm assuming it's going to be at least minimum six figures. He's going to be earning more than $100,000 a year. And who does some stuff behind the scenes, but he's getting paid to do that. <laughs> Paul White's getting paid astronomical sums of money. Like, AEW would not be different in any way, shape, or form if neither of those people were in it. Yeah. White or Henry. Anyway, uh, John Silver versus Adam Cole. Main event time. Uh, Silver comes down and, yes, mocks Cole's baby thing. Just goes through the budge thing, like you called, and obviously... Cole doesn't just stand there and let him do it. Big boots him, kicks him right in the head. Uh, but John Silver fights back, gorilla press slam, drops Cole on the top rope. Great story early on. It's something you referenced in the preview that you were going to be very angry if they didn't address. That Adam Cole is just probably the better wrestler out of these two. Uh, obviously far more experienced in the big matches. But got hit with a concerto and he's not all there, was he? Yes, his equilibrium was off, as I believe yes. it was um, called on commentary. Um, yeah, I'll give my thoughts on the hows and the whys and the whats when you've done the recap. Uh, to balance it out, he snapmares Silver onto the hardest part of the ring on the apron, uh, which, yeah, will kind of even the odds for them. Um, and Cole puts Silver in the camel clutch, Young Bucks do the kiss, and we go into our picture-in-picture picture break. When we come back, uh, Cole goes for Hakamrana, but Silver gets in with a sit-down powerbomb for a near-fall. Gets in a lot of offense here, John Silver. Goes for a suplex, but Cole counters it into that suplex neck breaker onto the knee thing that he does. He gets a two-count off the back of that. Uh, and then Silver nails Cole as he rushes towards him, uh, hits him with a lariat, a German suplex, and the punt, and he's got the match probably won. He's defeated Adam Cole, you know, probably helped by his injuries, but he's defeated him except for the fact that Matt Jackson pops Adam Cole's foot on the bottom rope, breaks up the fall. The rest of the Dark Order come down to confront the books. Uh, that distracts the referee. Cole goes to the old hoy in the bollocks but John, to, to John Silver, but he's got it scouted. So he grabs the arm, turns around, just kicks Adam Cole in the dick, hits him with that spinning bomb, like a bomb sort of thing, wasn't Spiral it? Spiral bomb. Spiral bomb, thank you. Uh, gets a near fall off that, and then goes for a superplex, but Cole fights out. Cole goes to the Panama Sunrise. Silver 
chucks him back into the corner and he's silver rushes in he gets caught with several super kicks and then Cole hits the boom or whatever they call it on John Silver to get the victory he, that he just sort of ekes out here basically but he still looks very pleased with himself as the show goes off the air and he celebrates with the young bucks I thought this was class genuinely thought it was class I was fired up watching it that arena was going absolutely wild particularly during the last five minutes on that on those terms, it was a total success. I like how they acknowledged that he had just taken a massive injection of head trauma 48 yes. hours before. It informed the story of the match. It realistically drove the incredible, unpredictable drama of that spiral bomb near fall. And it, they didn't just draw uh, this is awesome chant. They drew a holy sh chant, and it wasn't a stunt. It wasn't even a. St it wasn't even my stunt. <laughs> Usually, a holy sh chant is reserved purely for. Let's go through the air. The mystery reveal. The yeah. lights go out. The comeback on. Debutant stood in the middle of the ring. Holy sh. Failing that, or alternatively, you get a holy sh chant when someone takes a ten foot fall off a ladder and through a table or through another ladder. They got one in this match for a near fall. <laughs> That's how awesome that near fall was. That's how well they'd built towards the story. And honestly, I'll forgive them. I didn't think I was going to do this. I'll forgive them for what I thought at the time was genuinely bizarre and outrageously dumb timing to do that spot. Yeah. Because what they did was they styled it in the story of the match. They had a nice little flex in WWE's direction. I love that. It's okay if they do, isn't it? They all loved Adam Cole's in WWE, and he's, you know, he's defending his title after taking a... He did reference that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I love that little flex. He fell off the steel cage and was wrestling the next night. Yeah, it was um, 2018. Takeover. He took the air raid crash from the top of War Games from Champa yeah. through the table, and then he worked Pete Dunne, and at the time... It's Survivor just, Series, yeah. It was Survivor, War Games into Survivor Series. It's one of those things where I might have complained about that at the time, but I don't think there was many complaints because this... the. The curve, we talk about it often. It was just like, you don't bits of his arms were hanging off. I remember that yeah. like month or two. This is like his forearm was injured before the war started. Then they made him do that in the first month and a bit. So I love that because it was a casual little, that was all right for them. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, because selling in that company hasn't meant anything for ages. It kind of does mean something in this company, so you hold them to a better standard. But regardless, they played it into the story of the match. The fact that that was the story of the match played into that electrifying near fall, which got a reaction like, few near falls I can remember. Um, like, yeah, when Omega he that, and Page will be lucky to get one like that. When he hit that, gear. I genuinely went, oh, so Adam Cole's losing now yeah. then. I was like, in my head, I was like, well, uh, you can probably excuse it. It's going to be, you know, divisive. But you can probably excuse it because he's got a head injury. That's That was my thought process yeah. until the shoulder comes up sort yeah. of thing. So it's an fair play for a match where we were like, oh, okay, Adam Cole's going to beat John Silver, I suppose, on Friday. Unfathomably good logical story informs incredible near fall, which is pitched midway through this absolutely incredible pop, pop, pop. I can't believe where these pops are actually coming from next. PWG adjacent finishing sequence. Awesome. Loved it. Yeah. Great conclusion to a show that will live long in the memory for that pull apart brawl. Let the us remnants of that show <laughs> will hang heavy in the titty of Michael Shidrick. How are you doing? At what culture WWE on Twitter if you want to let us know your thoughts. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. And whilst you're there, online. 
Go to <laughs> whatculture.bigcartel.com. Again, whatculture.bigcartel.com. Because if you want to read 120,000 passionate, insightful, analytic, well-written prose on AEW, what you're listening about now, mm-hmm. I've penned them in a book entitled Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, which is available for pre-order right now. The price, I consider a bargain. Hey, and not only that, you can get a signed version. So Indeed. Why wouldn't you do that? Go and do that. Whatculture.bigcartel.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, the SmackDown review is available right now, and our preview of Money Row is coming a little <laughs> bit later on today. It's getting worse. Uh, but for now, this has been the Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.